This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. And that's what this segment is all about. Debt help professionals in this country. What you should know about those help, those service providers. And we've learned if you're, if you've been, if you've heard the show at all, or if this is your first time, this is such good information because not all debt help professionals are created equally. And, uh, and Blair's going to start by going through some of the most common professionals or types of representatives consumers consider when they're looking, when you're looking for help from someone who can help you with debt management. And, uh, there's lots of good things to, li- to learn in this segment, I think, Blair. I, w- I remember when we first covered this topic, it was surprising and shocking to me, uh, <clears throat> where some of these, uh, people, who, where they come from or how they're funded or et cetera. So let's get to it. Yeah, I'm thrilled to, to talk about this today, Elaine. And, and, you know, I don't think anybody would think that financial literacy in Canada is, is you know, anything that we, we should be proud of at this point. You know, we just don't teach enough about you know, how people should save and invest for the future. And we teach nothing about what to do when you have a debt problem. Um, you know, I went to business school, even worked at an accounting firm, and I had no idea when a family member of mine started to get into financial trouble what I could do to help that person. So even sometimes when you're reaching out, um, you know, to financially literate, financially savvy people in your life, uh, they just might not know where to steer you. So I think today's segment will help you get a little bit of the lay of the land of who's out there, what they could potentially do to help, and where you should start to reach out to, not to say one professional is the best for every situation, they're not, but it's important to know exactly who is out there. So generally speaking, if you're looking for some debt management support, uh, the type of people people reach that you would reach out to, uh, first off, would be a lender. So typically a bank, maybe for a consolidation loan uh, or a subprime lender. Sometimes these are payday loans uh, or installment loans, you know, sometimes very high interest, high cost, which we'll talk about. Um, other than that, you might see, see or hear something about a debt settlement agent or a debt advisor or a debt consultant. Um, these are typically unregulated individuals that you know often make a lot of claims that might make them sound a whole lot like a licensed insolvency trustee, but they don't have any of the legal authority to actually help you execute on whatever remedies they're talking about. Um, so you'd still have to eventually see a trustee and you might pay fees in between. Um, oftentimes there's credit counselors and these can be for profit or not for profit. There's not a huge difference on, honestly between the two. Um, and oftentimes they're heavily funded by the people that you owe money to. So we'll talk a little bit about how that can create a bit of a conflict of interest. Uh, and then finally, or, or fourth in line here, um, is licensed insolvency trustees, which if you haven't heard, um, they used to be referred to as bankruptcy trustees or trustees in bankruptcy, but about three or four years ago, the government changed the, the title to make it a little bit more, uh, maybe innocuous and a little bit uh, more broad to say it's not just bankruptcy, a licensed insolvency trustee can help you with. It's, it's a much broader suite of services than that. Now, those are the official ones, but but you also must come across people who turn to family or friends for help. 
Yeah, and that's that's often uh, one of the worst things that, that you can do. Um, so for an emotional point of view, absolutely open up to your friends, your family member, you know, everybody look for a solution. But if you start, to, if you begin to borrow from friends or family, it often adds an emotionally wrought dimension to an already difficult situation. Because if you have to be in a position where you're not going to be able to repay all of your debts, by law, you're not allowed to pick and choose and say, well, you know, I just want to pay back my family, but Visa and MasterCard, I'm not going to be able to pay them back. So if you start to introduce some family funds, it can be tough. Uh, and this can sometimes take the the uh, role of being a co-signer. So you might be applying to a bank for a consolidation loan. And they say, well, we can approve you, but only if mom, dad, brother, sister, or whoever signs in the dotted line to also be responsible. Well, then you've just given the bank another pocket to dig into. It's not a 50-50 liability. It's 100% of the debt they might be responsible for if you're in a position that you can't pay it back. So usually that's a bad idea is to start to, to use family resources uh, to deal with, with someone's debt. Yeah. Can you can you talk about the different solutions that are available for each type of debt help provider and then what kind of debts they generally can help with? Yeah, for sure. So we'll go in the same order. So talking about yeah. lenders. So this is, you know, essentially trying to borrow your way out of the situation. So solving a debt problem with more debt, which can sound sometimes a little bit absurd, but oftentimes the benefit is you're going to consolidate or put together a whole bunch of different debts, maybe with different payment dates and different terms and different interest rates. And hopefully you're going to be able to reborrow at a lower interest rate. So you'll have a single monthly payment. Hopefully it's lower than what you were paying before because the interest charges are also lower. So this is usually the first place people start is they say, well, I'm paying 19% interest here, 29% interest there. Could I go and consolidate my debts, you know, for 10 or 12% interest? And oftentimes what comes back from the bank is, well, we'd love to do that, but you don't have any assets that we could take as security to guarantee that they will get paid because the bank is going to go and pay back everybody else 100 cents on the dollar. What if you're not able to pay the bank back? You know, they didn't get to be record profitable by losing money. So they're going to want to make sure there's some assets that are there or they're going to request that you get a co-signer, which, again, can remove all of your flexibility in the future if you eventually can't repay the debts in full. You know now that co-signer is going to be on the hook. Okay. So the second one was what? Uh, debt settlement agents you talked about. Yeah. So with a debt settlement agent, um, you know, they're generally going to try to help you with your consumer debt. So nothing to do with a government debt, a student law or an ICBC debt. And what they'll do uh, is typically try to negotiate individually with each of your creditors to achieve a settlement for less than what you owe. So if you started to, to look up online, you might see things like, oh, yeah, we settle debts for, you know, 20 cents in the dollar. If it's not a trustee, you have to be a bit careful because the way debt settlement works is they'll have a promise that, you know, we can sell your debt for 20 cents in the dollar, but they'll require that you start to save that 20% of the debt so you can give a lump sum payment um, to your creditors. So oftentimes what that means is they'll tell you to stop paying everybody, uh, to start paying them their fee and start putting some money into a set-aside fund or you know, a little savings account that's, a, that's different than your normal. And then once you've spent some time being delinquent on your debts, they'll phone up all of your creditors and say, hey, you haven't heard from John in six months. He's going to offer you a 20% repayment. Do you want to take it or not? Some creditors will take it. Some won't. The government will never agree to work with these guys. Uh, but oftentimes what I hear from clients is they pay a lot of fees and they're either not able to save the amount of money because life can intervene. It's tough to save a lump sum of money. Um, or their creditors just keep harassing them. They'll never take the deal and they end up worse off. Their credit rating is worse than it was before. And they've got no solution and just paid a bunch of fees. Okay. 
So that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good option. What about a credit counselor? We see lots of advertisements and hear lots of advertisements for credit counseling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a credit counselor, so it's the same type of debts that can be handled as with a debt settlement agent. So it's your typical consumer debt, so it's nothing to do with government, student loans, or ICBC. Um, and a credit counselor, they're generally funded near 100% by the creditors. So this is, you know, one of my bones of contention is I think there should be a whole lot more transparency when you sit down, even with a not-for-profit credit counselor, for them to say, you know, my job is essentially to be a collection agent for the bank. I'm going to treat you nice, but I want 100% of the debt back from the bank. And that's what a credit counselor can offer you is 100% repayment of your debt um, over a term of up to five years. And they can often negotiate an interest freeze on those amounts. So compared to your status quo, that can be a really good option. You know, get the interest down to zero and pay it off over five years. But the challenge that I run into with clients is it can be difficult to afford paying off 100% of their debt over a five-year period. And a lot of folks aren't aware that they're actually dealing directly with the with the creditors with a collection agent, and they're not going to make you aware of some other options that might be a better deal for you, like a consumer proposal, which hurts your credit the same, but you pay back what you can afford, sometimes 20 to 40% of the amount, as opposed to 100% of the amount. You can imagine that's a very different life, a very different means of affording the payback of your debt. Yeah. Now, the last one is licensed insolvency trustee. And before we go there, I just want to say, if you want to jot down this website so that this will make more sense when you go back to the website to check it out, it's for sans-trustee.com. That's the website. And it's filled with great questions and really good answers on all kinds of areas of the things that we're talking about. And the phone number, just so that you've got this, jot it down as well, 1-800-661-3030. So let's talk about a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah, so different than than the last two advisors that we talked about, a debt settlement agent or a credit counselor, a licensed insolvency trustee can deal with just about every debt that's out there. So not just your consumer debts, they can deal with your income tax, the penalties, the interest, they can deal with student loans, can deal with just about every ICBC debt as well. So when you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, um, you're getting what's called a fresh start. You get the ability to start over unburdened by debt, and there's none of your debts typically they're going to fall outside of the program. I say typically because things like child support or alimony, you know, those are debts that you can't compromise, nor would most people seek to do so. But other than that, your standard debts, a licensed insolvency trustee can deal with all of them. Um, in Canada, a licensed insolvency trustee is the only professional that's able to use Canadian law to help you make a consumer proposal, which I alluded to previously, which is you know one of the best solutions that maybe you've never heard of unless you listen to us quite a bit, uh, but it's the best solution to get you out of debt without having to file a bankruptcy. So a proposal is structured to look at what would happen if you filed for bankruptcy, and most of the time, people would make some minimum payments, almost nothing would get repaid on their debts, and it's based on a win-win principle where the win to the person is they avoid filing a bankruptcy, and the win to their creditors, the people they owe money to, is that they actually get some of their debt back, you know, usually a range of 20 to 40% over a term of up to five years, you know, terms of about three to four years are more typical, so when you're dealing with a trustee, they've got to sit down with you, work out your budget, and figure out what you can actually afford to repay on your debts, which other advisors don't have to do. 
So, you know, if it's a credit counselor that's being paid by the lender, are they going to take the most interest in making sure you avoid hardship? Well, I hope so, because they're generally ethical people, but they're kind of rewarded to get the deal done. And that's that. If you're dealing with a trustee, their guidelines, professional ethics, and the rules of professional practice that they have to abide by, they say that we are not allowed to sign off on a proposal unless we believe it's in everyone's best interest and the person will be able to repay it. Um, a licensed insolvency trustee can also help you file a bankruptcy if it's a situation where you know even 20 to 40 percent repayment of the debt just is not possible. It'll be too much hardship, uh, or for whatever other reason, a personal bankruptcy is enshrined in Canadian law for the honest but unfortunate debtor to help them get a fresh start and turn things around. And generally, it's less severe than what you've thought. It's generally private, and it's nothing to be afraid of. A licensed insolvency trustee is going to help you explore all of those options and figure out what's the best for your specific situation. And uh, just in the last minute we've got in this segment, Blair, uh, I want to just include the, the counseling sessions that are really are such an integral part of the service that you give somebody in assisting them in this debt management. Yeah, you, you said it right, Elaine. It's such an important part of the process is you've got to sit down. You'll meet with the trustee a number of times before you file the proceeding, and we'll give you some counseling at that point. But there'll be two uh, federally mandated with a great curriculum counseling sessions under either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. They're going to tell you how to rebuild your credit, how to move forward with great financial habits, and try to make it a one-time thing in your life. So we really want it to be a transformative experience with a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah, and it's just such good information that you can carry forward once you once you get out of this and everything gets looked after then you've got this you've got another skill set sands-trustee.com give them a phone call 1-800-661-3030 and get that first free consultation as well as to find an office near you Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. It's always so great to have someone on the show, a real person who's gone through something and not only survived, but benefited from all the from the hard experience and all the hard work, whether it be through a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. Sometimes, you know, their situation can resonate with you and you get an idea or it feels familiar. Uh, we're, we feel so fortunate to have Tom on the show with us. He's, uh, Tom is a client of Sands & Associates, uh, wanted to come forward and tell his story in the hopes of helping others as well. Uh, so thank you, Tom, so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Tom, I wonder, can you tell me a little bit about the situation that brought you to Sands & Associates? What was going on in your life? You know, what were you experiencing? And, and then what was it like to reach out for help? Oh, well, it started with um, being uh, unexpectedly taken out of work due to a medical situation, okay. which then dragged on for long enough to cause financial stress. Yeah, and was this a, a workplace in- injury, something where, you know, you're getting your income replaced or is there, there was a big income interruption there? Uh, it was in, uh, income interrupted. Um, it wasn't proven to be a work-related injury. What it was mm-hmm. was I had a severe shoulder problem and needed surgery for correction. Uh, it was not covered by WorkSafe BC. It was not covered by any work insurance. Right. I was on EI for a couple of months on what they call medical EI, but it's a very short period EI. And when I was cut off of that, I was basically left on my own to... Um, work out my finances while waiting ever so patiently for our BC medical system to um, 
to take note of me. Hmm. And it doesn't, and while it's an awful situation for you, Tom, I bet it's not a super unusual situation for folks to find themselves in. No, it's not. And we're all kind of at risk of something like this if you don't plan ahead, which I had not. So when this came about, I did not have much savings in my account. Um, it's something that, you know, it was a hard lesson to learn, to plan for the unexpected. It's a good idea to just salt away a small percentage of your paycheck every year, every every paycheck for that matter, mm-hmm. into a separate account that you might call your emergency account. And it might grow for 20 years without ever being touched, or it might be two years in and all of a sudden something happens that you need that money that you put aside. So that's really the lesson learned about that. You know, and and while I appreciate the fact that you, that you were able to learn that lesson, um, I doubt that very many folks, even one, think about it, or if they've thought about it, are even able to do that. So it's, uh, well, you know, it's pretty special you're, you're situation. You're onto something right there, um, and it depends on your geographics. Like, I live in the Lower Mainland, and as we know, the Lower Mainland is one of the most expensive places to live. The yeah. cost of living compared to income is quite extreme. The cost of housing, whether you're renting or paying a mortgage, is a higher percentage of your income than most anywhere else in the country. So you're right. It's really, really hard to budget in such a way that you have any money left over at the end of the month to to just put aside and forget about. So, yeah, it can be, you know, living from paycheck to paycheck is not uncommon for a lot of the workforce. And and Tom, I wonder if you're comfortable sharing numbers or even just percentages. You know, what was the the magnitude of the shock to your income? I assume you're earning, you know, pretty decent money to start, and then suddenly, um, you know, medical EI is is not great, and then after that, you know, even lower income. So what what was that like in terms of, you know, either amounts or percentages? I can give a quick rundown of my story. What it is, is I actually am married without children. Um, There's a bit of an extra financial strain to, to my situation. My wife is on long-term disability. She has MS and she cannot work. So she has a very, very low income through an insurance company. It barely covers a couple of bills. Uh, So basically, I'm supporting both of us. My income is fairly decent in a normal two-income family, but unfortunately, we're more of a a one-and-a-half income family. I'm around, I'll just give you the numbers, actually. I'm around seventy to 75,000 a year Mm -hmm. uh, before taxes. That's my gross income. Uh, I'm in the construction business and have to follow that market so it can fluctuate from year to year. And due to the the cost of income, yeah, it was very difficult to to live within our means of the income that we had and in combined income. So Yeah, we get yeah, it. When the, when the medical situation arose, I was not prepared in the sense that I did not even go into debt until after three months of not being in work. Now, when the EI ran out, this is the part a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their, their mind around. I went from a small income, the EI covered less than half of my normal wage, to zero income. And when I say zero income, I mean literally zero income. There was no insurance coverage. There was no uh, WCB coverage. There was no, I mean, I even went to the welfare office and applied to welfare to see if I could get any help there because I literally had 0.00 coming in every month for six months, and yet I had to cover rent, food, bills, gas, um, you know, the typical expenses that everybody has. 
And Tom, I, I want to make sure um, you know the listeners can really understand where you're at now because that sounds like you know a pretty tough situation. Can you take me through you know the, the steps uh, where you reached out for help and you know where you are today? Because I know you're in a much better spot now. I'm afraid you're cutting in and out a little bit there, Ronnie. Oh, apologies there, Tom. I, I was wondering um, for our listeners, um, would you be able to give a sense of kind of where things are at now? Because I'm aware they're significantly oh. better. And, you know, when you reached out for help, how did that go? And was that something, you know, that really made a difference? Okay. Well, I didn't reach out for help right away. I went down that rabbit hole of borrowing more and more money until there was no more money to borrow and no way of paying it back. Uh, I then, and all this time, I'm on this waiting list, hoping that the surgery is going to show up and save my wallet. Uh, which didn't happen. Uh, Then when I realized that I was in real financial trouble, I phoned my creditors and let them know that I'm sorry, but until I go back to work, I simply cannot pay you back or even make a payment. Uh, It took a bit for them to wrap that around their head because they said, you know, even a small payment would make a difference. No, it's a a zero income. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I started looking at my options. Um, I'd had heard of personal bankruptcy, so I explored that. I talked with a friend who had gone through a trustee and had his experience with that uh, a number of years ago. So I approached a trustee at that time. This is probably about two months before my surgery. Uh, And the one hitch to dealing with whether you declare bankruptcy or you do a consumer proposal, you do have to have some sort of income because you need to make a monthly payment towards your bankruptcy or towards your consumer proposal, no matter how small that is, is going to be a percentage of, of your income. So when you start at zero, there's, there's nothing you can do until you, until you can acquire some sort of income. So I had to wait until I went back to work before I reapproached Sands and Associates and said, okay, I'm back to work part-time. There's my situation. And everything went uphill from there quite nice. quickly. Yeah, and Tom, do you mind sharing what we were able to help you with? Obviously, respecting your confidentiality, I haven't you know, given any background here. Uh, but... The experience actually was quite amazing. I don't mean to sound like a, a sponsor promoting <laughs> your company, but i got to tell you, the being set at ease and the, the non-judgmental uh, atmosphere and approach yes. that uh, your staff has is absolutely amazing. Um, after my first meeting, I mean, uh, I walked out of there feeling 100 times better. At that point, I was very stressed. I was very depressed. Um, uh, you know, really feeling like I, I was trapped with no way out. And within the first meeting, I didn't feel that way anymore. Once I got everything established and chose a consumer proposal over a bankruptcy because I could, and I would recommend to people that if you can do that option, uh, use bankruptcy as your last option, not your first one. If you can do a consumer proposal, it's, it's, a, it's a better way to go. You might end up paying a bit more back, but you'll also not be as financially hooped and, shall we say, credit hooped. Like your, your credit rating takes a much bigger hit with a bankruptcy than it does with a consumer proposal. The consumer proposal, you went and saw Sands and & Associates, and, and that's what they were able to work out with you, was doing the consumer proposal. And I just want to remind the listener, if there's anything in Tom's story that resonates with you and uh, you're thinking that this may be uh, the path that you want to take, 
Uh, first, go to their website at sands-trustee.com. There's just loads of good information there that, that'll give you even more information to take that next step. The 1-800 number to get a free consultation, that's your first consultation, and to find an office, 1-800-661-3030. And like I say, to find that Sands & Associates office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us right now is Andrew Smith. He's a licensed insolvency trustee with Sands & Associates. Andrew's got over nine years of experience in providing both business and personal debt management solutions. He's a very straightforward guy. We'll be the judge of that, Andrew. Very personable as well, helping folks assess their situation and evaluate legal debt solutions. Understands that debt... Uh, help can seem pretty complicated and overwhelming, uh, but believes with the right knowledge and friendly approach, it doesn't have to be. Number one piece of advice, and I'm going to ask you about this, Andrew. I love this. Always read the terms of contracts and agreements before signing. You should know exactly how much it's going to cost you to repay any money you borrow and how these costs fit into your monthly cash flow. It sounds like pretty, I mean, it's good common sense, uh, how often do you run into folks who haven't done that? Is it a, is it common, Andrew? Yeah, it is fairly common. Unfortunately, some people, uh, they, they're they excited about the purchase or uh, the thing they might need to acquire uh, in the sense of maybe getting a loan to buy a car. They're, they're really excited about the car, uh, and they don't really read the terms to find out exactly how much it's going to cost them over the long haul. And the long haul, I bet that's the key, right? You look at your monthly payment and then think, okay, well, that that's doable, but it's going to go on for, you know, I don't know how long a car loan can go on for, but years and years. And in, in, in some... Yeah, nowadays they, nowadays they can, do, they can uh, do a car loan up to 84 months. Wow. Uh, and that can really, uh, that's almost seven years and really can push uh, people's cash flow uh, for the long time. Yeah, and, and Andrew, if you can believe it, I actually had a client um, a couple weeks ago. It was eight years of financing, so I couldn't believe that. I'm like, so 12 times eight, what is that? That's like 96 months of financing? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Like, that's a long time to be making a payment. Yeah, it is. It is. So one of the things we're going to focus on with you, Andrew, is folks who are self-employed, how they get into trouble with debt, and what can be done about it. Um, so let's talk about sort of the most common thing that you come across. Yeah, the most common uh, creditor that I find uh, anybody that has is a self-employed individual. Uh, usually they're ending up owing money to the Canada Revenue Agency for personal income taxes and GST. So that's uh, the it, uh, the com- most common creditor is Canada Revenue. Yes, it is. Wow. That, that's usually beca- from filing taxes at the end of the, uh, end of the year and just realizing maybe they don't have the money saved set aside to pay that debt. So how does somebody get into that kind of situation? Like, what, what aren't they doing? Uh, what I find with dealing with my clients is that usually there's a number of things of how this debt arises. Uh, sometimes it's from just when they go to file their taxes um, and their GST returns. They realize they're not making the... Um, regular installments to towards the obligations. Uh, so when you're a self-employed person, 
uh, CRA usually wants you to file um, monthly or quarterly installments with them and pay pay something towards that debt. But when what happens is when they actually go and file their return, um, they might not have actually made those installments. Um, sometimes people actually just don't file their income tax returns um, or file their GST returns that they've signed up to do, and CRA just turns around and looks at past performance of what they've had filed, and then they assess them for an amount. Um, and in that case, they get a letter saying, hey, you owe um, this amount of money, and a person is kind of shocked about it too. Now, Andrew, one of the challenges that I have when I sit down with folks who are self-employed is that, you know, basically anybody can become self-employed at any time. You know, you don't have to take a crash course. There's really nobody that gives you, you know, here's the pitfalls that you need to, to look out for. So I wonder, Andrew, can you just kind of break it down? You know, what are the basic things you're talking about, you know, installments? What, what does that mean for someone, um, you know, who has a, a basic, basic business? And then also GST, just for someone who maybe is not self-employed or has started and maybe isn't doing things right. What should they be concerned about on those, those two factors that you mentioned, the installments and the GST? Yeah, so installment payments, uh, I mean, so the government wants you to actually uh, make a monthly payment towards what you might actually owe at the end of the year. So, so if, if you, you thought you were going to owe, you know, $10,000 in taxes, they'd want, you know, just under $1,000 a month. Is that, is that right? Yeah, or every, yeah, and every quarter they might want you to pay $3,000. So once a month pay $1,000 so that you meet that $3,000 quarterly payment. Um, with GST, usually someone might have to file their return uh, quarterly or even annually. Uh, so when, what a self-employed person should be doing is tracking what they've, <clears throat> what they're actually collecting in GST from their customers, uh, as well as how much GST they're paying when they're buying supplies. So that then at the end of the year when they file that return, they can uh, take the two differences and then they should be making a a remittance to the government for that balance of the GST that's owing. So I think that's an important Uh, point too. So if if someone's self-employed and they're charging GST, um, you know, they are actually able to recover some of that GST, to your point, Andrew, if they got to keep all their receipts for purchases in their business. But, you know, I've seen that again and again. People pay GST, but they don't actually know that they can recover some of it on their purchases. Yeah, and that's and that's something sometimes uh, I deal with that with my clients as well, is they, they sometimes don't realize that they're actually overpaying uh, on their GST back to the government because of they're not tracking uh, their their GST that they're paying, and that is the important thing that they have to do is they have to keep those receipts so that they can prove it to the government that yes, I have paid this GST, and then be allowed to deduct that against what they've collected. So it sounds like the, there's a definite need for either the self-employed person to be an extraordinarily good bookkeeper, or they need to have a good bookkeeper that's that's kind of knowledgeable, pretty knowledgeable about what a self-employed person's taxes look like or, or yeah, from day to day, week to week, and then at the end of the day, knowing what their tax situation is going to look like. Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, they do have to be organized. I What I tell my clients is that try to find yourself a good bookkeeper. Um, reason is, is because I uh, as a as a um, insolvency professional, I'm good at insolvency. But if I were to be doing my own plumbing, um, that's not something I have any skill in, um, and I would be making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I tell them, hey, take your all your receipts, put them in an envelope, 
uh, pass them off to your bookkeeper, get them to prepare and record your transactions so that then you know um, someone's tracking it and then they can give you a report saying, uh, to, in respect to your GST, they can do a report telling you, okay, this is how much you owe. And then you know that, okay, I, I have to make a remittance to the government, say, of $500 to pay the GST. And at least then at the end of the year, when you when you come to the uh, you get your final your file that GST return. You know that hey, I've made installments towards that debt, and now I don't have a, any a large bill to pay. And Andrew, what does that relationship look like with with a bookkeeper? You know, it's, that have to be you know a CA or a CPA. Is that someone that would cost a lot of money? You're meeting them all the time, or what do you think? You know, a good working relationship. You know, and again, let's assume it's a relatively straightforward, you know, self-employed individual, perhaps a tradesperson or something like that. You know, what would they really need from a bookkeeping relationship, do you think? Well, I think they need to have uh, some confidence in who the person uh, they're dealing with. It doesn't have to be a CA or a CPA um, to do the bookkeeping side, but if you have a, a really good relationship with uh, with this, your accountant, they might be able to recommend a good CPA and or, sorry, a bookkeeper. Uh, but you might only need them to do maybe 10 hours of work a month, uh, and that might cost you a couple hundred dollars uh, to do, but uh, it would give you the peace of mind to know that th- this is all being recorded, this is all, all being tracked, so that at the end of the day you can rest uh, and know that you're not uh, left with a large tax bill. And, and Andrew, Elaine and I, we, we talk a lot on the show, you know, about owing money and how it can be pretty scary, and, uh, you know, obviously you can't choose who you owe money to, um, but why don't we spend a minute, you know, from your perspective, why is the government somebody that you really wouldn't want to owe money to compared to others? Yeah, uh, I wouldn't want to be owing the government a lot of money because they do have uh, the power to uh, to come after you uh, in, di- in ways that, say, your, fi- your financial institution can't. Um, they can garnish your bank account. Uh, they can send notices to your, your customers and request uh, that they, they pay the money that they owe you uh, to the government rather than paying it to yourself. So that's incredibly um, disruptive, right? Not not to mention embarrassing. They're basically cho- choking off your livelihood at the source there. Yeah, yeah. And if the, yeah, it is. And what also the, the government can do is they can register the debt in federal court and then put a lien against your property. So you might not even know that, uh, um, that you have a lien against your property uh, until they actually notify you. Um, and that's the that's the hard part as a self-employed person. If you get yourself into a situation where you do owe the government uh, quite a bit of money, um, and they have not been able to collect that money from you, hmm. so that that's so a little bit of a tough situation to be in, obviously. And and Andrew, I know day to day you meet with people who are in these situations. Um, you know, what type of options exist if you owe the government money? Because I know, uh, you know, obviously from having guests on this show and from sitting down in my day-to-day, a lot of people are of the opinion there's nothing you can do if you owe the government money. Uh, you've got to pay it or come, you know, come anything, you're going to pay this debt one way or the other. Um, is that true, or Andrew? What are the options? Well, the op- people, as a self-employed person, they do have some various options under the, the legislation. Um, they do have the ability to file a consumer proposal if they're, debts are under $250,000, um, and they could make an offer to the government to pay back uh, something less than what they actually owe um, and not have them garnish their bank accounts uh, they could, and have their uh, accounts receivable seized, or, and they, that could stop a lien being put on their property. Um, another option, if it was a worst-case scenario for them in the sense they didn't have any other 
they couldn't file a consumer proposal, they could file bankruptcy um, and and start fresh. Um, and depending on what their their financial situation is, their bankruptcy could be nine months to uh, to twenty one months. Yeah, so definitely not a lifelong sentence to deal with the debt, and nothing you'd want to take lightly. But uh, I think for people to understand, there is hope out there, and you know, government debt, as I often say, it's the same as every other debt. We we can deal with it. We can help to restructure it. Um, Andrew, I wonder if we can talk just a little bit about some pieces of advice. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, getting a bookkeeper, and that seems like a really strong piece of advice for someone who's self-employed. Uh, what else, if someone is listening here, and again, maybe they're just starting off in business, or they might already find themselves in a state where they owe the government, uh, what's what's another piece of advice beyond a bookkeeper, do you think? Uh, well, finding a good bookkeeper is definitely, the I, I think, the top um, advice that I can always give people. But I think even if you are going to track, uh, or you just don't have a very... Um, large business, uh, you can, can just make monthly installments to the government. Um, so maybe you don't actually know how much you're going to owe them, but if you make a, a monthly payment to the government for your personal income taxes um, or your G, or towards your GST account, um, the government has, has to recognize that when you actually file the returns and then give you credit for those payments. That's really good information, Andrew. Listen, if any of this information is resonating with you and you want more, go to the Sands, uh, Sands and Associates uh, website. It's sands-trustee.com. Or if you really want to take action and you want to do it now, give their 1-800 number a call. It's 1-800-661-3030 and get that free first consultation and to find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So, um, it's this is a great segment, Blair. The reason why I hesitate, because it's such an interesting way of approaching the idea, because we all want to help people. We all want to help somebody who's struggling uh, at any time, especially with... Um, debt or finances or they're in such a situation, um, any kind of financial crisis. And of course, it seems to be pretty prevalent right now. And this segment is all about what you can do to help someone through a debt problem, as well as the things you shouldn't do if you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to give some somebody some support. So, um, I guess the first question, Blair, is how often or yeah, how often do you hear from people who are really concerned about somebody else's potential debt problem? And then let's talk about the sort of the general warning signs you should look for uh, if you're trying to help somebody as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, Elaine. I think this is an important segment because we think about, you know, as human beings, what can we do that would you know, really help others. Well, it's to ease suffering. And just about everybody that I see that's dealing with a debt problem, they're suffering. And so if you can be a resource to somebody in your life, you know, help them suffer less or get the help that they need, you know, what greater gift can you give to somebody that you care about? And that's something that makes me so proud with a lot of the clients that we've helped. Um, You know, they're able to then be a resource for people in their lives that are having money problems. And, you know, we often say it on on this show, but, you know, you're not alone if you're having problems with your debt. Um, You know, as recently as 2019, 
2019, um, the statistics were out of every 1,000 adult Canadians, just under five, so about 4.6 of them, filed a formal insolvency proceeding just that year. So if you think of it over a 10-year period, well, that's 5% of the population uh, is going through an insolvency proceeding. And, you know, it's, it's orders of magnitude greater, those that are dealing with debt problems and maybe don't need to file uh, a formal insolvency proceeding. So, you know, we often get approached by parents calling uh, for their adult children, concerned about how things are trending or maybe, you know, the kid has opened up to them and they, they want to provide support. Uh, we often get the reverse, children calling about their parents, you know, whether they might be retired, um, they're concerned the pension income is all going to debt repayments, they're not making ends meet. Um, often one spouse calling regarding the other, um, sometimes in a very supportive way, sometimes a little bit less so, but, you know, we, we give the facts and we, we don't judge, of course. Um, close friends wanting to offer support. So, um, you know, it really takes a very close friendship for you to open up about all of your uh, potential financial issues. And, um, you know, often we're giving friends advice that, you know, my friend is still just too concerned, a little bit ashamed to reach out. So, you know, give me some tools that I can pass along, help me get some basic questions answered. Um, and sometimes we even get bosses who are concerned about their employees who've maybe seen their performance decrease and they've had, you know, the heart to heart discussion about why. And the person saying, well, you know, it's because I'm getting collection calls 10 times a day um, or the boss has perhaps received um, a garnishee notice, which is requiring them to take sometimes up to 30 percent of the person's wages and send it directly to the creditor or to the government, which they know is going to put the person in a, in a, to- a very tough situation to succeed. So there's a bunch of different um, you know, scenarios that, that occur. Uh, for the most part, the reason why people are reaching out for money problems, it's circumstances. They were doing just fine, and then something happened, some shock to the system. So the most common ones are there's a job loss or an impact to their business. Um, sometimes there's a chronic or long-term illness of themselves or a close family member, a child or a parent included. Um, sometimes it's relationship breakdown, divorce, or a separation, uh, or one that we've seen increasingly in recent years, and it's you know, very gratifying to help someone on the road to recovery, but it's when they're dealing with an addiction and have put that behind them, but sometimes the, the debt hangover isn't so easy to leave behind. Okay. So so let's say there is somebody uh, in my life that one of these situations pertains to. How does one even begin to have a conversation? Because it's like helping somebody who's an alcoholic, for example. You, you can give them all the information, but you can't make them go, right? Um, so how yeah. do you start that conversation with someone? Yeah, you said it well, Elaine, you can't make anybody get help before they're ready. You know, you can just offer facts and resources, you know, the gentle nudge to put someone in the right direction. And sometimes it starts by sharing a little bit about your own situation. So sometimes sharing a personal experience where you struggled financially. And I don't know many people in life who haven't had at least some money worries at some point. um, But your friends or your family members, they might not have seen that because you kept it in. So letting someone know that you've struggled as well. Uh, sometimes it's talking about a financial literacy concept that you recently learned. Um, you know, did you know if you're paying 24% interest on your debts, they're going to double every three years? You know, so, something like that. Um, you could talk about a media piece or a news article that you've seen about debt help services, maybe about the bankruptcy rate being higher or lower. Uh, or sometimes just asking them, you know, after a big life event, um, you know, how are you managing financially? Are you, are you doing okay from a financial perspective? And it's a hard topic to broach with people. I mean, there's, it's, it's not just about money. There's so much attached to somebody who's feeling the pressures of debt or fi- a financial crisis of some sort in their lives. No, ab- absolutely. Money is not just something often say you can't just put it away and, you know, just worry about it for 10 minutes a day. It becomes all consuming. 
Yeah, and there's so many other, so many other things that are connected to it as well. So, what are the what are the sort of first steps or the something that I can do uh, to help somebody? Yeah, the number one first step is just to get a clear picture of the situation. So, you know, sit down with the person if they're open to it and, you know, help them set out just even on a sheet of paper or maybe just a quick Excel sheet, um, you know, who do they owe money to and the debt details. So what's the balance owing? What's the account number? What's the monthly payment requirements? And what's the status on each of the debts? Are there collection agencies involved? Is there pending legal action or garnishments? Or are they keeping track of everything, but they're just not paying down their debts? Uh, the second thing you can do is really help them work out a realistic budget for available income and household expenses. So just sitting down and saying, well, we know your income is X per month. We know your expenses are hopefully a little bit less than that. What can we realistically devote to debt payments? And if you find there's just not any money left in that budget or the expenses exceed the income, you know, hopefully that would stimulate a bit of a discussion. Well, you're going to need some help here, um, you know, perhaps to start to reach out for some, for some financial resources. Now, and, and I want to mention this too, uh, Sands and Associates. If, if the bells are already ringing in your head when you're listening to this, this is the phone number to call to get a hold of someone who can help you take some first steps and, and figure out what your situation. The number for Sands and Associates, and this is for all over British Columbia, is 1-800-661-3030. So let's talk about those financial resources, Blair. Yeah, so obviously the one that I recommend above all else for your first call is to reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee. And the reason for that is an LIT is the only debt health professional that's endorsed and empowered by the federal government to help you access all the remedies that are enshrined in law. They were written for the honest but unfortunate person that owes money. And every licensed insolvency trustee will meet with you for free. You don't need to get a referral or anything like that. And at Sands and Associates, we're proud that over 30 years, you know, we've treated every everybody with dignity, with empathy and respect. Um, so, you know, we understand these money problems can happen and we just want to help people move forward and have a better tomorrow. And is there one thing as we close out this segment, we've got about another minute and a half or so to go. Are there mm -hmm. some specific actions that you suggest people not do as they reach yeah. out? Yeah, I think it's so important that we cover this, Elaine. So, you know, the worst thing you can do is to blame or shame the person with the debt. It's not going to help find a solution, and it's probably going to compromise your ability to have open communications with that person in the future. So even if the situation seems really bad from your perspective, you need to react without judgment. That's such a key thing in our professional lives every day is react without judgment, and you've got to give that support to your, your friend, your family member, your coworker, or who not, or whoever else. You know, other things to avoid is don't try to solve the problem on their behalf. So I encourage people not to co-sign a loan. Um, you'll become 100% uh, responsible for that payment the person can't pay. Uh, and don't start using your credit to support somebody else or start using your own assets to pay off the debt either for yourself or somebody else. You know, oftentimes people think they're doing the right thing and think, well, you know, they would have to lose their RRSPs anyway, so let me help them cash them in. And they've just created a larger problem for the individual. So help them get some support. Um, to really don't try to solve it on their behalf, but definitely stay away from the blame and the shame game. It's not going to solve anybody and you're all going to feel worse after. And, and really, and I'll just go back to the very first thing that you can do, and it's so helpful, is uh, to connect with somebody from Sands & Associates very easily. To, you can do it very easily. Sands-trustee.com is the website. And I want to also say there's a ton of good information on the website as well, lots of good questions and answers. The number, again, is 1-800-661-3030, and it is toll-free all over British Columbia. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time.
The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.